we've been talking about the supernatural kingdom and uh, how important it is to realize God's kingdom is certainly supernatural. We learned about admittance into the kingdom, how to get in. We talked about lifestyle in the kingdom, living according to God's principles. Then we noted that where there are two kingdoms, there's always warfare. We talked about kingdom warfare, kingdom armor. We talked about having a battle plan, a strategy to live the Christian life. Today, we're going to wrap it up, and we're going to see what is kingdom faith. Now, a lot of people say they have faith, but I want to ask you, do you have kingdom faith? Kingdom faith is not so much what you believe as much as it is what you do. That's how you know what you believe by what you do. So let's wrap up our series in the Supernatural Kingdom. And we're going to talk today about kingdom faith. Well, believe it or not, faith affects many areas of life. It actually affects every area of life, everyone. We're going to see today that faith affects our perception toward life, how we see things. The way we look at circumstances in our life is determined by our level of faith. Faith affects how we see the authorities that are over us. We all have authorities over us. It affects our attitude toward, here it comes, servanthood. As you know, that servanthood is a very major part of the Christian life. So we're coming to the end of our series, The Supernatural Kingdom, and we're going to see the role of faith in those areas. First of all, let's take a look at faith perception, how faith affects our perception. You know, perception is everything. Perception is how we view people, things, events in our life. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, it talks about perception, where Hebrews says, but my righteous one, that's the believer, my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, in other words, if he turns from faith, my soul has no pleasure in him. God is saying, when we live in faith, Faith perception toward life, God, it gives God pleasure. And when we fall away from faith and walk by sight, what we hear, what we see, it displeases God. There is no pleasure. And by the way, that's not for New Testament Christians. That's actually a quote from the Old Testament. Because God always intended his people to live that way. It's from the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. God always wants his people to have a faith perception toward life. Faith perception, here it comes, it's based on Scripture. It's not based on how we feel, what we think, what we see, what we hear. It's based on Scripture. It's based on the Word of God. So we might think we have faith, but the reality is, do I look at life through the eyes of faith? 
Faith is our perception based on Scripture. Now, we have a variety of Bible translations today, and everybody has their preference, right? I'll bet represented in this room, we have many different translations. We have the King James, the New King James, NASB, NIV, the Revised Standard Version. Now, Howard Hendricks was a teacher at Dallas Theological Seminary in Texas. And he said, the question isn't really which version of the Bible you read, but which version you prefer. He notes that many of us actually prefer the reversed standard version. In other words, when we read God's word and recognize a call for change, we choose to do the reverse of what God says. You do the opposite. God says, you need to give help over here. I don't want to give help. You need to forgive over here. I don't want to forgive. You need to do this over here. I don't want to do that. And we oftentimes go the opposite way, the reverse version of what God says. So kingdom faith is really living in what you read. It's not just believing what we read, but it's actually living. That's kingdom faith. That's living in God's realm, in God's world. Perception toward life in the supernatural kingdom, oh, it's very different from perception in the world. Worldly perception, like I said, based on what we hear, based on what we see, based on how we feel, based on our own interpretation of something. But kingdom perception is based on the Word of God and what God's Word says about a particular situation. In John chapter 12, verse 46, Jesus said, This is why I came into the world. I've come into the world that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. So what does that mean? It means that when we come into the world, we're in darkness. We're in spiritual darkness. And not until we find Christ do we come out of that darkness into his light. That's why he came. Oh, so now I have to ask myself, hmm, am I still in the darkness? Or am I living in the light? Am I living in the light of God's word? That's the question. That's kingdom faith. Secondly, let's take a look at kingdom authorities, because this is the big part of life, because we all have authority over us. Life in the supernatural kingdom includes understanding that there are rulers over us. We all have something, someone over us in life. We all do. A supervisor, a boss, a coach, a teacher, a, pol a policeman, a judge. They're all over us. Now watch this. In the supernatural kingdom of God, there is one and only king. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. It's Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us in Revelation 1.5 that Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. 
So Christ is the ultimate authority of all people. But yet to keep things in order in life, we have rulers over us. To keep things moving, to keep things peaceful, to, to ward off chaos, God has instituted rulers in this world. All rulers are under him. Now we have rulers in two realms. We have rulers in the natural realm. We have rulers in the spiritual realm. But remember this. They're all ordained by God. In the natural realm, we mention them. Teachers, coaches, policemen, judges, bosses, supervisors. In the spiritual realm, pastors, teachers, evangelists, ministry leaders. They're all leaders. They're all rulers. Some way or another. Why? So things can run smoothly. Now, Hebrews 13, 17 is a scripture that I think a lot of Americans have a tough time with. Because Americans are all about freedom. And we should be. And as a matter of fact, the reason this country began was to escape the totalitarian government in England to come here so we could be free. But in many other nations, people understand those that lord it over them. They have kings, they have queens, they have emperors, they have dictators, and they understand lordship. But in America, our attitude ingrained in us is we don't bow down to anybody. And sometimes that gets in the way of our Christian life. Because in Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey your leaders. This one will really get you mad. And submit to them. Because the average person would say, I ain't submitting to nobody. I'm my own boss. Okay. Let me know how it works out in the end. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they keep watch over your souls. That's why. They've been entrusted by God to watch over you. And by the way, they will give an account to God on how they did. Oh, they will be judged. So let them do this with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. Now, many times that's spoken about the spiritual realm, but I think it would do well in the natural realm as well. Because all authority is given by God. So whether it's in work or at church, whether it's at the game or in a ministry, we obey our leaders because they're accountable. And that gives glory to God. That's the way God established it. That's kingdom authority. Thirdly, in the supernatural kingdom, you know what we have? We have kingdom servants. And I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 20. And in verse 25, and we need to remember, everything Jesus says is important. If it wasn't important, he wouldn't say it. So everything he says is vital for our lives. And in Matthew 20, verse 25, Jesus is going to have Bible class with his disciples. And he called them to himself and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. I was like, yeah, Jesus, we know that. That out in the Gentile world, 
there's all kinds of bosses. And they lord it over those that are under them. They, they lord it over them. We know that. But in verse 26, he said, let me tell you something about the supernatural kingdom. He said, it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Oh. In the eyes of God, greatness is servanthood. In the eyes of the world, the boss is great. The king is great. But in the eyes of God, the servant is great. And when he said, whoever wishes to become great shall be your servant, the word servant is the word diakonos. It means to serve. And it's the word we get for deacon. Now, the official role of a deacon in a church is to serve, to do whatever is asked of them. They serve. But it doesn't just have to be a church title. When you go to a restaurant, they bring out the food. That's a server. What are they doing? They're deaconing. They're serving you. So a deacon is a servant. That's all. One that serves. And God instituted the role of deaconing because the church needs people to serve the body, serve the church. And you know what? You know what it takes to be a servant? It takes tremendous self-confidence because in the world, it's a lowly position. I want to be a servant. That's lowly. But when you have great confidence in who you are in God, it's easy to be a servant. It's easy. Because you know who you are in Christ. It doesn't matter if you do lowly things. It doesn't matter if you're the only one that picks the paper up off the floor. You know who you are. As a matter of fact, you also know it's a very noble thing in God's eyes to be a servant. That's greatness, to be a servant. That's what greatness is. Verse 17, whoever wishes to be first among you, that means preeminent, you shall be your, uh, shall be your slave. The word for slave is the word doulos. It means a bondservant, someone that's indebted. Wow. Servant has no rights. A slave. So that's an even deeper level of certainhood. Because we all have a debt. And you know what that debt is? To love one another. In a way, we're all bondservants. We have a debt to pay. That's love. That's the debt. And we never get caught up. Then in verse 28, he said, Oh, now he's going to say, Whatever I ask you to do, I've already done it. That's what Jesus says. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. And there the word serve is the word diakonos. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to be a deacon. Think about it. A deacon is on the level of Christ. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for the sins of all people. Servanthood is nobility. Servanthood is greatness. Whether it's in the church or in the home. Whether it's at work or whether it's at play. 
To be a servant is to be great in God's eyes. So you know what we need in our church? We need people to step up, especially men. We need, we, we need men in this church to step up and become servants. Become a deacon. Become a servant. We want you to be great in the kingdom of God. That's greatness. Step up. For many of you, it's time. Time to stop sitting around, taking up space. It's time to step up and make this church strong. In Mark chapter 9, verse 35, here's another little Bible lesson Jesus gave his disciples. Sitting down, he called the twelve and he said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Oh, last of all. The last one in line. The one who doesn't take the parking space right near the door. Unless you have to. You know, this is the person that doesn't put themselves first. They let everybody else go. Why do they do that? Because they have self-confidence. What's the rush? They want to be great in the kingdom of God. See, here's what Jesus is teaching them. It wasn't enough for them to be disciples. They had to become servants. A disciple is a learner. A servant is one who puts into practice what they're learning. Jesus isn't interested in people just being disciples. Disciples get nothing done. They just learn. They fill their head. Oh, servants. Servants roll the boat. They make that boat move. As a matter of fact, many times the role of the deacon was related to the old warships. And they would have different levels of rowers. The guys on the bottom had the toughest job because the oars dug deep into the sea. The guys on top, it wasn't too bad. They were like, this isn't so bad. Because the oar would just skim the top. But the guys in the bottom row, rowing those things, digging in. That's the deacon. That's the word for the deacon, the servant, the one that's there to, to, to do the heavy lifting. That's what, you know what Jesus is saying? Sometimes Bible study is stop, has to stop. And it's time to start doing. Time to start doing what you're learning. So I would say, men, what are you waiting for? It's time. It's time to step up. Been around a few years, still putting that dent in that seat. Same one every week. We know your dent. Oh, yeah. Well, it's time to let the cushion come back and do something. Get on your feet and do something. It's a great church. Needs to be greater. It's for every church. Every church needs people like that. The great churches are the ones that have great servants. And they do great things for God. Greatness in the world, then, is being served. Greatness in the kingdom is serving. And by the way, there's something that's really, really important for the servant. And you know, in order to be a servant, you have to have this. 
a servant's heart. You have to have a servant's heart. And I would say to anybody that is serving, that doesn't have a servant's heart, either get one or step down. One or the other. Whether it's this church or somebody watching online or whoever hears this message, either get a servant's heart or step down. You know why? Because it doesn't give glory to God. See, here's the main thing the church is to do. The main thing that the church does is not to do stuff. It's to give God glory. That's the, that's the end result. The end result is not, what am I doing for God? That's not the end result. The end result is, is what I'm doing for God and the way I'm doing it, giving Him glory. That's the end result. This is why we're here. To glorify God. And if you're doing a lot of good and not glorifying God, guess what? You're not doing any good. You're not doing any good because you're bringing a stain to the name of Christ. We're not honoring Christ. We only honor Christ, the Lord Jesus, when we give him glory and when our heart is a servant's heart. So we really need to think about that. Whatever you do, Whatever you do in life, whatever you do in the church, any role, from parking cars to preaching in the pulpit, myself included, I'm not out of this. I'm with you guys. If we don't have the heart of a servant, don't do it. Either get a heart or don't do it. Let someone else with a heart do it. Because that's what glorifies God. This is why we're here. We're here to bring glory to God. We're not here to, if we don't change the world, but we glorify God, that's good enough. That's what we do. We bring glory to him. And we do it with a servant's heart. Now, if we get that right, if we have kingdom faith, which is kingdom perception, and if we understand kingdom authority, and we become kingdom servants, you know what that's going to be? Kingdom promotion. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus told the parable of the talents. And many of you are familiar with that. He told a wonderful story about utilizing what God has given you. Uh, a man came to his servants and he gave one guy five talents. He said, I want you to go out there and make money. Let's say a talent is $1,000. I want you to go out there and make money for me. He gave another guy... Two talents, $2,000. Go out there and make money for me. He gave the other guy one talent, $1,000. Go out there and make money. Now, why do they get different amounts? Because they have different abilities. God doesn't ask us to do more than we have the ability to do. So he sent them all out. Guy had 5,000, 2,000, 1,000. They went out. A long time later, the guy came back. Okay. Let's settle accounts. Went to the guy with the, five, with the five talents. How'd you do? Well, I took the five talents you gave me, and I went out and I made five more. I've got $10,000. Here, it's yours. Because you know what he realized? What his boss gave him, it didn't belong to him. It belonged to his boss. He was working for him. He says, here you go. Here's your 10 talents. The boss is like... 
Well done. Well done. You were faithful in a few things. I'm going to make you ruler in many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Wow, great. Then he went to the guy with the two. How did you do? Well, you gave me two. I went out and got two more. Here's four. Good job. Good job. You were faithful in a few things. I'll make you ruler in many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. So he got a promotion. Then he went to the guy that only had one. What'd you do? How'd you do? Oh, you gave me one. Yup. How'd you do? Here it is. What? Here it is. What'd you do with it? Nothing. Nothing. I buried it in the ground. Yeah, man, you could have at least washed it off when you brought it back. Full of dirt. What? You did nothing. Well, I was afraid to do anything with it. Oh, you were. Take that talent from him. Give it to the one that had five. And this guy, you know what he said to him? You wicked, lazy slave. And I'm like, you know, I think the biggest insult you can give to someone is to call them lazy. That's the biggest insult for me, to call me lazy. Because I'm not. You can call me any name in the book and they're probably all true. And I don't care. They probably are. But there's one thing I'm not. It's lazy. And that's maybe the greatest insult you can put on someone. And that's what this guy was, lazy. He did nothing with what his master gave him. And what's Jesus teaching? Everybody's been given something. Every one of us. At the moment of your salvation, you were given something. You were given a spiritual gift and you have talents and you have abilities. And we're all going to stand before the Lord and he's going to say, okay, what'd you do with what I gave you? And what are we going to say? Some will say, oh man, I did as much as I could. Great. Well done, good and faithful servant. Others will say, well, I, 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 didn't do, I, I buried it in the world. I like the world more than the kingdom. Oh boy, that's going to be a sad lot for some people. And you think about it. When God has given us so much and we love the world more than the kingdom. That's what kingdom faith is. Kingdom faith has feet. That's what it does. And kingdom faith takes you somewhere and it gets things done. Well, that's the end of our series, but you can catch the whole thing. Go to YouTube, type in New Old Christian Church, click Playlist, then Created Playlist. Look for the series, Supernatural Kingdom, and you can scroll down, see all the messages. Today's is Kingdom Faith. So I'll tell you what, we need to grow. Let's grow in the Word of God so we can hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Thanks for coming along today. I'll see you next time for more of New Hope Radio. Let me know if you like the sermon version or the live version. Email me, newhoperadio7 at gmail.com. We just want to bring you the best teaching we possibly can.